0: Today we're going to be wrapping up this, I told you in the beginning it wasn't a series, but it ended up being a series. Uh, We're talking about how God will continue to do things over and over again, and today we're going to talk about how God will send the rain again. See, in Hebrew, kind of appropriate for today, huh? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 says this, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised, and church God has made promises to every single one of us. He's made us promises, and God is a God who keeps his promises. So I want to ask you a question today. How many of you have ever been, like, in a drought? I'm not talking about where it hasn't rained for three months and your corn's not growing. I'm talking about that you've been in a drought. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about you're feeling distant from God. I'm talking about you're you're struggling, growing uh, spiritually. I'm talking about you don't see God working. Those burdens of life just keep pressing in on you. Maybe you've begun to feel discouraged. And you know, church, that spiritual drought can be caused by many things. It can be. Maybe it's a personal sin, a sin that you're harboring in your life, a a sin that is ongoing in your life, and that sin can cause you to feel distant from God, because remember, our sin separates us from God, and it's because we are attempting to live our lives for ourselves and not for God, and listen, God don't like that, church, and maybe it's unconfessed sin, it's a sin that you know. I mean, you're struggling with it. You recognize that you've got it in your life, but you have not confessed it to God. And in James chapter four, it tells us very clear. It says, come near to me and I will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So he makes it very clear that we are to confess our sins to him. And today what we're gonna be doing, we're gonna be digging into the Old Testament and we're gonna be looking and talking about the prophet Elijah. See, he was the prophet who... Came to confront the nation of Israel. You know, the nation of Israel was not doing what they were supposed to be doing. They weren't honoring God the way that they were supposed to be. And so Elijah, he approaches the king and the queen and he tells them, you know what, you're messing things up. You're messing things up with God. And he told him, he said, God's gonna send a three-year drought to the land. And he did. He sent that three-year drought. And Elijah was the the prophet that went toe-to-toe with the false prophets of the god Baal, the false god Baal, right? And and so we know a little bit of background about Elijah. I preached about him about a month and a half ago. And so today we want to kind of, this is the prequel, all right, to what I preached about a few weeks, a few months ago. And so today we're going to be getting our text from 1 Kings chapter 18, and if you guys want to turn to that with me, if you have your Bibles, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to look at verses 41 through 45, and there's a lot in these five verses, so check it out. 1 Kings 18 verse 41 says this, and Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and he put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and he looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud is small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. So church, I, w- I want to pose this question to you, and maybe you can, you, you're a lot like me in this area. Isn't it hard to start something? <laughs> You know, what I'm talking about maybe it's a project, maybe it's something that, that you need to do in your life, and it, it's really hard to start something. For me personally, I'm one of those guys, I'll maul it over, I'm talking about sometimes for months, and then I take this small project, it ends up being like 10 times bigger than it ever should be in my mind, and then I keep putting it off, and I procrastinate and put it off, and then finally one day, I, I decide, because Mary told me to, that I'm going to start it right now. And so I jump in there and I start it. And I don't know how you guys are with this, but then as I'm doing it, I'm like, this ain't even bad. Why did I wait so long? Why did I fret about it? Why did I worry about it? Why did I procrastinate? And so that's what it is. And so it's hard to start something. Maybe it's a project. Maybe it's you going to the gym, but you have something and you procrastinate in it, right? There's something about starting. You know, church, when it comes to the nature of faith, Make sure you hear this this morning. You realize that we hear things that we cannot yet see. You hear things that you cannot yet see. I want to take you back to 1 Kings 18, verse 41. It says, and Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. He's saying there's a sound of it. You can't see it yet, but you can hear it. And when it comes to faith, church, we see, I mean, we hear things that we can't quite yet see. That's when God's word comes to you, right? A lot of times God will come to you and he'll lay a word on your heart and your mind. You'll read it. You'll see it. Man, you'll experience like little glimpses of it. And you don't immediately see that change in your situation, do you? You don't immediately see it. But see, what happens is in that faith, it will first produce a change in you. You don't see what's going to be happening in the future, but God starts to change your heart. He starts to change your mind, and you're seeing these things and hearing these things, the change in you. But, you know, when you're coming out of a spiritual drought, well, listen, all of us have either been in one or maybe you're in one right now. When we're coming out of this spiritual drought, there's a few stages that you'll see. You'll see a few stages here. This drought doesn't mean coming out of bankruptcy, this drought doesn't mean coming out of like a a rough spot in your marriage. It's that drought in your relationship with the Lord. Because you you realize that everyone can look at your life and maybe see some success. I mean, they'll be like, wow, they got it going on. They got a great house. They got a great job. Got a great marriage, right? Kids are great, right? They're, They're seeing these things. So they might see the success in areas of your life But if your soul is dry and your heart is empty, if you're not right with God, your motivations, if your motivations are not correct, you can be winning on the outside, church, but you know what? You can be weeping severely on the inside. You can be. So today I want to talk to you about the enemies that can keep you in that dry place, That hard spot you're in in life. And so these are listed in the text that I just read to you in 1 Kings chapter 18. All these things are listed there. These are listed there. But growing up in church, I always heard that statement, right? I heard the statement that saving faith in Jesus Christ. I heard that statement over and over again growing up in the church. And I was taught that, you know, that saving faith is what gets you in that relationship with Christ. You believe in him and you are saved, But that was for me to get saved and go to heaven. But what about that faith that I need to navigate the rest of this life that I'm in? You got to have that faith too, right, church? Because you know what? When I get to heaven, I'm not going to need that faith anymore. I'm going to be standing in the presence of Jesus. There he is. (laughs) You know, it's that faith. I'm not going to need that. But while I'm here on earth, I need this faith. And and I want to remind you what that faith is, right? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. So when you're in heaven, you're not going to need that faith anymore. He's there. He's here. And you are experiencing that life with him. But how many of you, and I believe all of us can say yes to this, how many of us, we need some now faith? You know, you had that saving faith, but now you need some now faith to navigate where you're at. See, when things are rising against you, when, 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 when things are getting harder in your life, maybe it's in relationships, whatever it might be, see that God is in work. God is at work, church. He's always at work, but you're not just seeing it yet. You take some faith to navigate that. So here's the things I want to cover with you today. The first one is this. Faith must survive the invisibility stage. Your faith must survive that invisibility stage. It's the stage where you may be right where Elijah is here that I just read to you. You heard something. You sensed something. You believed something. You read something, but you can't see it yet. You can't quite see it yet. You don't see any way that it can happen. I'm just going to be honest with you as the pastor of the church. There's times where I'll look at things like, that's impossible. (laughs) You have that weak moment, you know what I'm talking about? You're you're experiencing something, you're wanting God to do something, you feel like, oh, that's not going to happen, that's impossible. I'm just being honest with you. I'm a human being just like you. We have those moments. But I like what Elijah did. Remember, he just said to the king, he said, go and eat and drink for there's a sound of heavy rain. It hasn't rained yet. It's been three and a half years since it even rained in the land. And he just said, hey, Go enjoy it, man. It's coming now. But then in verse 42, it says this. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. I want you to get an image of that. That dude was doing some, like, incredible kind of yoga stuff, kind of weird, contorting the body. He's standing straight up, and he's bending down and putting his head between his knees. And you know what he's doing, church? He's praying. That man just made a statement. That the rain's coming and there's not a cloud in the sky. See, he called for that drought. Elijah called for that drought because these people were depending on sources for things other than God. The king and the queen was kind of leading that pack in that one, too. The people of Israel, they were depending on sources for things other than God. And any time, church, you and I, even today, any time that you rely on a source other than God, he'll cut you off. He won't abandon you, but he will cut you off. Think about how many times for your kids, you had to cut them off from something like, you ain't getting no more till you fix that. <laughs> You're not getting anything more. I'll cut your allowance. I'll cut your free time, whatever it is. You aren't getting anything until you straighten up and you fix it. And see, our God, our heavenly Father, will do that to his children sometimes. He, He will cut you off, won't abandon you, but he'll cut you off, and he will not allow your life to be supplied by something else that cannot sustain you, church. He won't allow that. You might allow it, but he won't. So he'll cut you off for a while just so you will come back to what you needed all along. We'll have that wake-up moment. See, that's where Israel is. See, he loves you too much, church. He loves you too much to let you keep going down that path. So Elijah, he's been hiding the whole time. He made the statement, there's going to be a drought coming because of the way you people live. You're a mess. And now I'm going to go hide somewhere. I'm going to lay low because you didn't like what I just had to say. So he's been laying low. And you know what? So when the time came for Elijah to come before the king and the queen again, Ahab and Jezebel, the reason the drought was going on because of their wickedness and their leadership. But he comes before them boldly and he says, the drought's in over, king, go eat and drink, you have a good time because the drought is over. And so when the king goes off to eat and drink, Elijah, can you imagine that weak moment? Have you ever made a really bold statement? Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's at your job. You make this really bold statement. And when you're done, like, oh, man, what did I just say? And so Elijah goes up the mountain, and he's like, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to pray that this comes true. See, he told the king the drought was over and it hadn't even rained yet. And so he goes up and he buries his head. He closes his eyes and he believes in his heart what he has spoke will come to pass. Check out verse 43 with me here. And he said, so he tells his servant, he says, go look toward the sea. He tells his servant and he went up and he looked and there is nothing there. He said seven times, Elijah said, go back. So he sent his service up there, his servant up there. And so this guy goes all the way up the mountain. And listen, church, he wasn't just walking like to the back door of this building. My man goes up the mountain and he looks out to the sea and he sees nothing. There's no rain coming and he says there's nothing there. So he comes back down, to Elijah, there's nothing there. Sorry, buddy, there's nothing there. And Elijah goes, go back up again. I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna pray. You go back up again. See, church, something is happening when, something, when nothing is seen. Do you realize that? God is still doing something. The, 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 the servant's saying there's nothing there. If you remember anything about your fifth grade science class and the rain cycle that they taught you, right, there's something happening. Before you see the cloud form in the sky over the sea, the water is evaporating and going up into the air. So even though you don't see it yet, there's something happening before that storm comes. And Elijah is counting on this. So this servant, maybe he was thinking like, yeah, Elijah, you might want to go tell the king <laughs> to back off on the food and drink because there ain't no rain. I'm sure he's thinking something like that. There's nothing happening. The drought isn't over. And do you realize, church, the start of something, listen to me this morning, the start of something always feels like nothing. It feels like nothing. It feels like nothing is going on. Do you know what? this church started with here? Nothing. When this church was formed here in Wellsville back in the 1800s, they started with nothing. Do you know what the disciples packed the day that Jesus went and he preached to the 5,000 men and all the women and children? Do you know what the disciples packed in their cooler for that day? Nothing. Nothing. How many of you this morning, you're in that nothing stage? You know what I'm talking about? That you're praying to God like, Lord, I want to see this happen. You know, Lord, you know the desires of my heart, and this is what I'm looking for, but you're seeing nothing. How many of you are in that nothing stage? Maybe the doctor said there's nothing that they can do. You know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe as a little kid, your parents told you there is nothing special about you. Maybe you have just been hearing and hearing over and over again that nothing is going to work out for you. Church the invisibility stage is hard. When you can't see anything, it's difficult to navigate through it. You know what you heard, you know what you heard from God's word, you know what you read in God's word, you know what you have sensed in your heart by the Holy Spirit. But you know what, when you see the opposite of what you have sensed, it's hard. It's hard. How hard is it to be to be believing in God and he's doing something? But you see nothing. How difficult is that? Maybe it's the more you pray, right? You tell you hear it all the time in in church. You know, you go pray about that. You you take it to the Lord, you 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 go right to the throne room, right? You you do that, absolutely do that. But the more you pray, man, for your children, the wilder they seem. That's hard. There's no way forward inside. You're praying over your finances like, Lord, I'm giving you my finances. You know, you're tithing. You're doing everything that you're supposed to do. And yet, you're still not seeing anything. And it's nothing. How hard is that, church? Whenever it is in your life that God told you he was going to start something and you don't see it yet, that nothing is hard to navigate. So in verse 43, I want to remind you, Elijah told his sermon, he said, Go and look towards the sea. And he went up and looked, and there is nothing there. He said, Seven times Elijah said, You go back. You go back. Church, there's just something about that number seven, isn't there? All through God's word. There's something about that number seven. Seven times God told Joshua, you march your army around that Jericho. Seven times he told him to do that. Seven times Elisha sent Naaman to bathe in the river Jordan so that he could walk again. Seven times that happened. And we could go over and over and over again. And Elijah, he said seven times he made his guy run to the top of that mountain and still Nothing. Nothing. So how is it to wait on God? How is it to wait on God? This is how faith feels. That is how it feels when you're waiting on God to do something. This is how faith is in that dry season, isn't it? You feel I mean, picture, picture that servant running up the hill. He scans and he looks, and he runs back down, and he's like, "Nothing yet. Go again." Run up, run back down. Man, all those times you run, that boy was tired, I'm telling you. Had to have been. He was tired. He was worn out, out of breath. I don't know what's going to give here. How many more times is he going to make me go up there? How many of you feel that way in that dry season with God when you are praying hard, like, Lord, I want to see this happen. Lord, can you make this happen? And you're seeing nothing. But see, This is how it feels when you hear the sound, but you don't have the sight yet. It's exactly how it is. See, it's coming, but you can't see it. See, Elijah, he's not moving. He's staying there. Every time he sends his boy back up to check it out, he's sitting there praying. He's doing his part. Still nothing, right? Nothing. Church, when you still see nothing, right? I want to tell you, you sing again. When you still see nothing, you worship again. When you still see nothing, you still pray again. Hebrews 11, man, I want to remind you, I can't get this enough to you. Faith is a confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. That's what faith is. Having faith that God is going to do something again in your life even though you can't see it. Church, I can't tell you how many times God has blessed me over and over and over again, even when I didn't deserve it. God was faithful to me even in the moments I wasn't faithful to him. And, you know, there's times where I go before the Lord and I'm like, Lord, this is what's going on. And I know he hears me. And I still sit there and think in my mind, even though he's done it again and again and again, I still sit there and I wonder, like, Lord, what's up with this? What are you doing? So your faith, it has to survive that invisibility stage. And it also, your faith must survive the insignificant stage. The insignificant stage in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 44. And then the seventh time, finally, this boy had been running up and down the mountain. And so finally, the seventh time, the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Listen, church, picture that, a cloud the size of a man's hand. It was something very small. It was something insignificant. If I told my wife today, hey, honey, I can't cut the grass today because I saw a cloud the size of my hand in the sky. I can't cut the grass today because it's going to rain. Yeah, it ain't going to float. It's not gonna work. But I wanna tell you, church, it may have been small, but it's something. It might be really small, but it's something. It's something to hold on to. And too many times, if it's not something big, if it's not something grand, we discount it. But man, when God is doing something, it might be something small, but it's a start of where He's going. What about the boy? The boy there, he had five loaves and two fishes, 5,000 plus people. It was small, it was insignificant, but it was the start of something, right? It's not nothing, it's not a lot, but it's a start. I remember in the church years ago, I've been here 52 years, so I got a lot of history with the church. I remember when we were a church, about 45, 50 people Man, if two visitors came to church that day, they probably thought we were weird because we got so excited. Two people came to church today and we're like falling all over them trying to greet them. We want you to stay. Please stay in the like, I ain't coming back because you people are weird. You're up in my grill, right? And we were so excited that two people came to church. What a big deal that is. And if I went and told someone today, today, this Sunday... Two new people came to church. You're like, there's always new people coming to church. It's not that big a deal. Church, it's something where God is starting something. We have to look at things differently. Celebrate the small starts. You don't be negative. Don't be negative when God's doing something. You celebrate those small starts. When I first became the pastor here 13 years ago in and I'm a marketing guy. I went to school for marketing and finance. Worked for Coca-Cola all those years in those departments, right? And, and, and I'm a marketing guy. And I something caught my eye, an, an outreach program you could do for your church. You pay this company X amount of dollars. They give you all the addresses for the area around where your church is at. They'll even create the postcards. And so I convinced the board, we got to do this. I know it's a little bit pricey, but we're going to do this, man. The floodgates will open. People will come here. So we got the church ready. We got the cards sent out. And I'm ready, man. I wake up Sunday morning. I'm so excited, like a kid at Christmas. And I'm so I'm like, that church is going to be jam-packed. It's going to be so filled with people. And I couldn't wait to get down here. I got down here early preparing. I remember literally going out in the parking lot, picking up papers in the parking lot. I want to look good for all of our visitors. And you know what? Church started. There was one new visitor. I was so devastated. And so I put on my smile. It was hard. But when I put on my smile, I went down and I introduced myself. Her name was Muriel Dalrymple. I went down and introduced myself to her. And she goes, this is so crazy. She showed me the card. That we said, I've been thinking about going to the church. And how did you guys know I wanted to come? And you sent me this card. i went, ah. It was a marketing company. <laughs> But we welcomed her with open arms. She, she came to church for a short period of time. She realized that she needed to be saved. She accepted Jesus Christ. She was baptized. And man, what a cool day. But here's the kicker, church. Literally, a few short months later, she had a brain aneurysm and she died. But we took hope in the fact that she was saved. That one little thing that I was so miserably upset with. That small start, do you realize it meant an eternity to somebody? That meant an eternity for somebody. And today we can celebrate that she is in heaven because of that one thing that I thought was a failure. I'm like, Lord, come on. She is there. It was for her. It was worth every penny we spent. Church, everything God does is significant. Every single thing. God is purposeful. He's just not like flying by the seat of his pants. He is a very purposeful God. Everything God does is significant. Just because it's small doesn't mean it's insignificant. Elijah, right? He's saying, there's a cloud. Small as a man's hand. We better celebrate. You go tell the king. He better get ahead of it because if he don't, he's going to get caught in that, that downpour of rain that's coming. Church, I want to encourage you today to start looking at things, even though it's small as it's significant. I'm talking about the little things that God's revealing to you. It means something, right? It means something. Start looking at those things. Pay, praying for this small, this small thing for, that God continues to develop it. You know, I'm, I'm talking about the, the littlest thing in your life. God's gonna do something with it. You know, when my kids were growing up, I used to love to do this to them. And, and basically, I love to torture them. I'm gonna be honest with you right now. They'd be like, dad, can I have a glass of pop? I'd be like, sure, buddy. I'd get the largest glass that we had in the cabinet, and I'd pull it down, Their I was like, oh, boy, he's going to fill that thing up. And I would pop open the, the top of the bottle, and I would go, Bleep. a little drip in there. And they're like, are you serious? I'm like, you said you wanted some pop. There's your pop. It's small, but, man, you said pop. You didn't say how much, so you wanted it. And eventually I'd give them more after they cried for it. I'm, st- I'm still repenting for that one, Okay. I, I did like it, I got to be honest, God's working on me. I would give them some more, but man, it was to teach them, you, you'd be thankful for that little small piece. You'd be happy at that, that small things, right? Church, pray for those, those small things that may be seen insignificant. You know, changing your kid's diaper, man, that is significant. Things moving forward in a relationship, that is significant, You know what Satan wants to do? He wants to get you to leave your assignment, the assignment that God has given you, telling you that the things that are happening is insignificant and it's not working. That's what the enemy wants to do. But see, God's start in your life is significant. Every start has a purpose and has a meaning. How many of you ever wanted a brand new car and you went and picked it out? And you're driving around and like within two weeks, you see like 50 of the same exact car. And you're thinking that you're so cool that that, the, the Ford Motor Company did this big marketing push because you bought it and you're such an influencer that they poured 50 more of them into this market. That's not how it worked. You're special, but you aren't that special. You know what? Here's the reason you started paying attention. You never noticed all those cars, they were there before. You never noticed those cars because you weren't paying attention. You weren't paying attention to it at all. You started seeing it when you started searching it out. That's when you started seeing it. Church, you want a life that matters? Listen to me. Do you want a life that matters? Make your life matter then. Make your life matter. This is significant. It, it, it's a cloud the size of a man's hand. It's a start. It is a start, something, church, something just surviving and making it. You realize that's a start. That's God doing something in you. The enemy, what he wants to do is destroy you, right? So Elijah sees a small cloud and he begins to run ahead of the king's chariot. He wants to run ahead of it. Do you realize if the enemy can't destroy you in the invisibility stage and in the insignificant stage, then the only thing that he can do after that is to keep you from receiving God's blessing. He wants to rob you of the blessings that God has for you. See, he can't keep God from bringing the rain to stop the drought. But what he can do is he can intimidate you so you won't receive the rain that God is sending you. He wants to intimidate you. See, your faith must survive the intimidation stage. Your faith has to survive it. See, here's what happens. When Elijah should have been celebrating the storm, in chapter 18, when Elijah should have been celebrating that storm, I take you over to chapter 19. And I want to read to you right now, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 says this. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, mind you, Mind you, if Jezebel really wanted to kill Elijah, she could have. She was sending the messenger just to scare him. She was trying to intimidate him. And so she says this, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, she said, I'm going to kill you. In verse 3, I want you to get this, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. I want to tell you something, church. If you read in 1 Kings chapter 18, all of that, you can even sneak back a little bit in the 17. I never thought by reading those two chapters that you would ever see that from Elijah. I never thought that we would see that after all he had witnessed of what God did through him. You know, I can't believe that he thought that maybe because the queen could kill him, that he would run. So that's why she sent the messengers in to scare him and intimidate him. Church, Satan cannot curse what God has blessed. I want you to understand that this morning. Satan cannot bless what God has, I mean, Satan cannot curse what God has blessed. He can't do that. If Satan could have kept it from raining, you better believe he would have. But he couldn't. So all the enemy has left is this, intimidation. Church, you realize he wants to intimidate you. So here he is. He intimidated Elijah by sending the the queen, sending a message to him. And what did Elijah do? He ran. He intimidated him, and he ran. So now Elijah is running from the same rain that he prayed for. He's running from the very same rain that he prayed for. And you know what? The man who was running towards the rain is now running away from the rain through the enemy intimidating him. There are some people who are here today. I believe this with all my heart. There are some of you here today, you are running away from the rain. You're running away from God's blessings in your life. You're running away from it. You're running from God's blessings. You're running because the enemy has convinced you that this is all you can do is run. You are running from something that has already been defeated. You are running, church, from shame that the cross of Jesus has already taken care of. You are running from a power of sin that has already been broken, but you haven't received it. You are running from situations that God has already worked out from you for you, and you're running from it. You are running from an outcome that you and I, neither one, have to fear. But yet we run. See, God is going to deal with the Jezebels. He is. He will deal with those Jezebels. He's going to deal with the enemy. The Bible already tells us where it ends up for him. So why would we run, church? Why would we run from the blessings of God? See, when you run from resistance, when the enemy puts resistance in front of you, when you run from that resistance, you are running from the rain. You're running from God's blessings. When you run from the battle, church, You are running from the rain. The enemy's going to fight you. You better believe he is. The word tells us that. But you have everything you need to do battle against the enemy. Everything. It's called the full armor of God. You have everything you need for that. And when you run from the problem, you run from the promise that God has for you. And when you run from the problem, you also run from the harvest that God has intended for you. So this morning, as the praise team comes up here, I want you to think about how many of you are running this morning? How many of you honestly are running from the blessings that God wants to give you? Maybe the enemy has thrown a few roadblocks in your way, and you're like, oh, that's it, it's over, it can't be done, and you're running. When God has made promises to you, he has promised you this church, he will never leave you nor forsake you, made that promise. He told you he wouldn't. How many of you this morning you're ready for a new season of life? I'm talking about how many of you get depressed in the winter time and all that cold and darkness, right? And then God sends the spring every year He does, and it lightens everything up. Man, things come back to life. Do you realize that's what God wants to do in your life? He wants to give you a brand new season, one with light one with life. That's what he wants to do. How many of you this morning are ready for the rain? I'm talking about a rain that's going to end the drought and bring life back to a relationship with you and your heavenly father. How many of you this morning are running from what God has for you? Church, I want to tell you something. He's offering you a brand new life in Christ. You want to talk about a rain that's going to come and end a drought? I'm talking about you've been living a lifetime outside of Christ. You've been trying to do it on your own. You're failing miserably, because we all do. You can't do it without him. And he's saying, I want to bring the rain to bring life into your life. He wants to bring that, right? A brand new life in Jesus Christ. And here's where it comes from, church. It comes from you, stop running. That's where you're gonna receive that. You stop running. Man, some of you are like me. You can run a marathon sometimes away from God and he's saying why are you running from me and here's the wild part he will hunt you down he will continue to run after you today you might say no I can't do it because the enemy's throwing roadblocks up in front of you and he's saying I'm still coming after you I will not be defeated I will not give up I will not stop chasing after you church that's a good thing by the way so this morning, maybe there is somebody here who needs a brand new life because you've never accepted Jesus Christ. Let today be the day. And for the rest of you believers who are here, for the rest of you here, are you having panicking moments right now? Like Elijah? The enemy throws one roadblock up in front of you and, and, and you're falling apart and you're thinking God's not there and you're wanting to run away again. And God said, no, I'm standing literally right beside you. I'm ready to do battle with you. I've not only given you everything you need to do that fight, I'm going to be right beside you, and I will handle this. Maybe you need to be reminded this morning. So as we close out this service, anybody who needs prayer, if there's anybody here today who needs that saving grace of Jesus Christ, let today be the day I want you to come forward. There will be people up here to pray with you. But here's what you got to do. you got to stop running from the rain and enjoy what it is that God wants to pour down on you. How about it, church? Let's stand together and let's sing. But I want to encourage you to respond this morning.